on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And we're back. Hello. This is Keep It, in case you thought it was, I don't know, Pod Save the World. Because we're, we're in their studio. You know, we are. We are. We have a brand new studio. Uh, it is large. It is in charge. This we're- desk is so wide. I feel like you're going to throw to me for sports. <laughs> There's a big American flag behind us. Right. It's unsettling. I don't know. Sinister. We're kind. I can. I can only sort of see Lewis's face. Right. She's on the other side of a mic, and we're sort of. It's like I can only see her eyes, so it's like we're flirting. (laughs) The stage is so huge. It's like we're at the Roundabout Theater doing After Miss Julie. (laughs) Anyway, as you can tell, Kara Brown is back. Oh, hello. From, I don't know. Where were you? I was working. Mm Mm-hmm. Meghan Markle wasn't here either. I have questions. Why are you both gone? We'll talk about that later. Okay. Uh, My dad listened to the podcast last week. He goes, so is Megan coming? I was like, dad, no, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Don't believe Ira, dad. (laughs) Is Megan coming? (laughs) Oh, I love your dad. I know. He's a good guy. Have him come on this show. He will be uh, statesmanlike, dry, and then leave early. Yes. (laughs) Oh, he can? Yeah. He looks exactly like me. You'd be surprised. Okay. Well. We're back. All three of us are here again. The news just keeps on rolling on. I mean, we got a lot of things to talk about this week. We're going to talk about Jamila Jamil and her detox tea crusade. Uh, We're going to talk about George H.W. Bush. My girl. R.I.P. Thanks for preempting Days of Our Lives this week. Um, (laughs) And we will also be talking about Priyanka Chopra Mm. and her... Royal wedding, apparently. (laughs) Uh, We will be doing that with Franklin Leonard from The Blacklist. But before then, Ariana Grande dropped a video. She did. For Thank You Next. We love the song. Did we like the video? I hated the video. (gasps) Really? I think think she's charming, but she would have been charming in like a send up of... American History X. I mean, just Mean Girls is so... <laughs> Curb stop those Nazis. <laughs> uh, mean Girls is so passe. It's passe to make fun of people who quote Mean Girls too much. I thought it was like beneath her. It's something if Katy Perry did it, we'd drag her for it, I thought. Well, Katy Perry wouldn't have had a bop like Thank You Next, There's which w- would have also been... I, I mean, I didn't think it was like groundbreaking, but I thought it was... Cu- but it wasn't just Mean Girls, right? It was 13 Going On 30. It was Bring It On. The Bring It On scene was pretty great. I think if it were only Bring It On, it would have been awesome and I liked me. the Legally Blonde stuff, too. I thought the Legally Blonde stuff was super cute. I liked how she was reading books on like immigration, immigration. law. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little subtweet. I mean, the thing is... Our, there's only so much, like, there. There's only so much artistry you're going to get from her. She's mm-hmm. like a pop star, and to me, this was like as sort of edgy as she's gonna get. And I was like, I'll take it because the song is a bop. It felt like her hotline bling. You know how like yeah. Drake with his videos really knows how to capitalize on meme culture and social media reaction. And this video was l- literally designed, you know, to be memed. Mm-hmm. Exactly, so. and it already has been. Yeah. Did you see that someone memed? Her getting out of the Porsche, like the legally blonde yes, scene. With Wu Child, the ghetto. Yeah, Wu Child, the ghetto. <laughs> yes. That was beautiful. By the way, uh, Troy Savant's acting in the video. He is kind of an actor sometimes, right? Man, the Lance Bass jumped out. I th- where was the charisma and that performance? I'm a little upset with Troy Savant right now. Wait, in the video? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Lance Bass jumped out. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Lance was great in On the Line. Okay, well, moving, moving right along. He's better than Joey. Did uh, he have brown hair in that movie and On the Line? There was yes, something like uh-huh. weird that he did to. Well, he was still straight then. Yes, and yes, yes. Do you know what Joey Fatone does now? Um, I a construction company. That's no, that's incorrect. Okay. He's the that's announcer for the brother. Steve Harvey Family Feud. Oh. oh, okay. If you need any more game show tea, I'm here. <laughs> okay, well, 
That's that's a that's a path. It's a check. It yeah. is a check. We love a check here at Keep It. Um, speaking of checks, though, I didn't even want to bring this up, but there was an awful <laughs> review of this video on oh, Into yeah. Yeah. the the website brought to you by Grinder, mm-hmm. which is my primary news source, of course. And I don't know. It's this author accused the video of being transphobic, racist, said that she was in blackface. Uh, what? Said that Ariana was in blackface. When? And I don't know. This. So this was also a trans white woman who wrote this. Um, and I'm like, okay, girl. Like, maybe I saw the point with, it was sort of doofy for um, that dancer to be in the wig mm-hmm. the entire time. I didn't know what was going on with that. But maybe race stay in your lane. Um, (laughs) And it just reminded me of like what we're going to talk about later with Jamila, this need to always have some sort of like hot take um, and one, you know, spurred by people whose, you know, only introduction to critical theory is a Twitter thread is really sort of the problem. And just looking for something to react to. Because that video was designed to be innocuous and fun and popular. It was not designed to cause waves. It was designed to be incredibly popular, which it is. And so looking for some sort of more insidious thing in a piece of content that was not trying to do a lot is also bizarre. Also, in that piece, the author interprets the bring it on section as some sort of deeply offensive moment, but it doesn't understand that it's a reference to bring it on. Has she seen the movie? Yeah. No, clearly. Clearly. Because at one point she writes the Toros are wearing like red, white, and blue when they're wearing red, white, and black. Black, yeah. And then she refers to the Clovers' outfits as a Pan-African oh, green and gold. Oh, no. <laughs> the piece was... Uh, How the... do you write about this this video? You haven't even seen the movie. Anyways, it turned into a real mess. Um, and I'm sorry we don't have more time to talk about it. But Into removed her name from the article because allegedly she was getting death threats. Um, VHS I mean, copies of Bring It On thrown through her window. Yes. Uh, um, and then there was also revelations that maybe she had sexually assaulted some people oh, oh no. god uh, oh, no. so okay. whatever can we add more wrinkles to this somehow thanks yeah. i was just like where was the editor uh they added an editor's note and someone hilariously responded so there was an editor <laughs> <laughs> do better people just at least watch the the thing that you're writing about yeah when we're back We're going to talk about some other hot takes. I hope you have some on detox teas. (laughs) (laughs) So Jamila Jamil of The Good Place, uh, we all know her as Tahani on The Good Place. She has been on quite the Twitter and media stir over the past few weeks. She's been dragging Celez for endorsing those detox teas, you know, those flat tummy teas yeah. <laughs> uh, that everyone from like Demi Lovato to Iggy to Kim to Cardi B have been promoting for years. Um, she also now wants a ban on airbrushing in <laughs> celebrity photos, saying that it should be illegal. All right, Shakira. Um She also told The Cut that her vow is to never stop coming for people, men, and women who perpetuate this gross culture of forcing women to remain small and doll-like in order to be accepted by society. She, to me, has a little bit of the Azealia Banks syndrome, where she may not be wrong, but goddamn would she shut up. Yeah. <laughs> like, she isn't fully wrong, but you're like, God, you're annoying. I don't even care. Like, she almost makes me want to buy a flat tummy tee. Right. Just to be like, shut up. Shut up. And I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, there's something about, like, the targets she picks are seem very easy to me. I don't know. Like, I don't need someone to really yell at Kim Kardashian anymore. I'm not saying I'm like a super fan or whatever, but it just, oh, you don't say she's part of the problem. <laughs> it's right. 2009. I figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. We've already got theater actors yelling at her and her husband <laughs> for being on their phones oh, yeah. right. during Share the Musical on Broadway. Uh, we don't need Jamila being like, hey, did you know Kim Kardashian is problematic? Right. right. And the... 
of the list of things that are harmful to women that should be illegal, airbrushing is yeah. the one that you go for. <laughs> Airbrushing, that's a that should be illegal. It should be outlawed. And the other Sis, I like to look good. Right. Okay? That's the other thing, which I is, love an airbrush. It's a little and like I know that she has had she's talked about like she struggled with an eating disorder and like, you know, everyone has their own issues in history. But it's a little irritating when a I can't very, shop at H and M or Zara. It's a little irritating right, when a very thin <laughs> conventionally be- a gorgeous woman is out here like nobody get airbrush and she posts a picture of herself without airbrushing and she looks fucking incredible and it's like no if that's what people are competing with then yes please cover up the bags under my eyes it's almost like she's become tahani yes. or maybe she already was tahani because yes. yes that is literally a scene from a comedy where you're like women we don't need makeup to look beautiful and then she walks out and she's glowing exactly anyway. it's the alicia keys like you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on skincare you're already alicia keys you're already beautiful you not wearing makeup isn't doing a lot for me personally also it just in a way shames people who like using photoshop i don't know it's just if she had just said obviously there are dangers to like you know images in the media that are manipulated in ways that like the people putting those images out aren't saying but ju- to say make it illegal strikes me as i don't know immature i don't know well it's also because she seems to have predicated her career at this point on constantly critiquing her peers mm-hmm. and it's sort of it would be different if she like other celebrities had been oh my god i was just on this magazine cover and i was photoshopped right. I would prefer that my fans and people see what I really look like. It didn't seem like the photoshopping happened to her. Right. She's just mad at other people for doing it. And maybe some of those celebrities asked for it. I also find the frequency with which she specifically goes after women to be a little odd, which is not to say that women cannot uphold the patriarchy and are not also part of the problem. But she seems to me, at least from what I've seen, she's mostly criticizing women. Yeah. Which is critique a, the men is at a the weird top way. Yeah. Of the company. Like, did she have anything to say about Victoria's Secret and that whole drama? Why did- are you attacking Cardi B. Does she have anything to say about? For trying to get a check. Yeah, like about issues that are like, go, go, go to Planned Parenthood, girl. Like that's what we need from you. <laughs> go raise some money for some shit that's actually. Which is not to say that these are not things that should be discussed and and all of that. But I find her the sort of crusade like nature of it to, as opposed to sort of mentioning it in an interview here and there and like drawing attention to things when it's necessary to make this your fight of all of the issues women are facing. Is just it's just not interesting to me. It also, was, I think the phrase "double agent for the patriarchy" is just way more insulting than it needs to be. It's just again, it's like if the patriarchy is the problem, talk about that. Specifically, calling somebody out and saying they're a double agent for the patriarchy is like, well, you're you're as bad as a horrible man. When it's like that's not the truth. It's like they're Arena Derevko. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's weird is she also had this moment where she attacked Cardi when she talked about uh, Cardi and the detox tea. She wrote. They got Cardi B on the laxative nonsense detox tea. God, I hope all these celebrities all shit their pants in public the way the poor women who buy this nonsense upon their recommendations do. Not that they actually take this shit. They just flog it because they need more money. And what's funny about it is Cardi responded and said, I will never shit my pants because there's public (laughs) bathrooms everywhere. Ooh, and bushes. That's what, super wild. <laughs> Very wild. But what I found funniest about it was that Jamila like, gleefully shared the article where she said, I hope that they shit their pants in public, and was like, LOL at BuzzFeed or whatever outlet um, asking Cardi for a response quote. It's like, didn't you, isn't that what you wanted? Right. Like, why would you go after yeah, like, one it. of the most famous people in the game right now unless you were expecting them to respond to you? This sort of whole, um, I'm just trying to do the right thing and like, oh, people are just like trying to create drama out of it is yeah. funny and comical when you are constantly creating drama. It's, you know, people can't necessarily help how they are. 
And it's, I just find with her, it's, I just don't want to listen to her talk about this. Um, I find it a little grating. And she doesn't, to me, seem like she really knows what she's talking about. She's never, again, has she read a book? She's not linking to, like, articles written by serious people breaking down these issues in a smart way. Like, it just seems very surface level. She had a kerfuffle when she was talking about the body positivity movement and how that had sort of been co-opted by skinny white women. And then, you know, some black women on Twitter were sort of like, I mean, we're talking about body positivity over here just because you, you don't know about happening. it. Yeah. Just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it's not happening. And she apologized for that. But it's like, yeah, if this is going to be your crusade, um, I don't know. Read a book. She just doesn't really seem, she doesn't feel to me like she really knows what she's talking about, which is the fundamental issue always, right? Like it's not I about mean, her being famous. if it were the 90s, famous. Oprah would give you a talk show because of that, right. but <laughs> that's not happening it's, anymore. And it's not about her being famous and beautiful and all of that. It's like she doesn't seem super well informed and that's a problem. The big think piece she wrote about it somewhat recently, it just felt like it was operating from a place, it reminded me of a high school newspaper of operating from a hunch and a feeling and then assuming because you believe strongly in it that that's enough support for mm-hmm. it. Well, Not that there wasn't truth happened. in it. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes. It was basic journalism. <laughs> anyway. I th- oh, I will say though, the sketch she did about like, whatever, like the farting because of the Tommy T thing. In a way, I do think that is the kind of obnoxiousness that does draw the right attention to the issue. Like, look how absurd it is that we're like feeding this to like people en masse or whatever. I prefer the video to That's what I mean. Yeah. The constant tweets. I'm yeah. like, if you want to, you're on a comedy show. So how about you be funny when attacking this instead of just being so annoyingly didactic? And it gives it the sort of seriousness that the issue deserves, which is yes, the flat tummy tea is part of a larger issue, but it's not a pressing issue for people. The issue, yeah. yeah. And so, like this sort of dumb video treats it with the seriousness with which the entire issue deserves. No. Anyway. She really is Tahani, though. She is Tahani. It's kind of... I mean, that that photo of this isn't photoshopped and she looks resplendent. <laughs> she looks incredible. I'm like, girl... The like she really thought she made a point. <laughs> she really thought, like, yes, I'm showing them. I'm a normal. And there's not a poor in sight. I'm like, get out of here. It's like when other really hot people tell you, like, um... Oh, you like you just need to like exercise, go to the gym. Or like I, I used know. I used to be ugly. Well, you're not now, so who cares? <laughs> Drink more water. No, it reminds <laughs> me of like I felt like that was a very late 2000s thing of supermodels in magazines like not wearing makeup, and it's like, oh, you don't say Cindy Crawford, you look fantastic. What question mark? You're the only person who can drink Coke, <laughs> right? And not break out, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think we've had enough of this. Yeah. When we're back. I'm going to talk about Jeb's daddy. (laughs) Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now... Is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like 
basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. On Friday, George H.W. Bush passed away in his home in Texas with his children at his side. The 94-year-old former president received sweeping praise from those on both sides of the aisle, while both the Obamas and Clintons nostalgically remembered their interactions and stories of the former president. And, you know, I know every once in a while y'all might like for us to do something nice and easy. It's just one thing. We don't ever do nothing nice and easy. Do it nice and rough. (laughs) So we're not going to be doing that sweeping praise. Uh, We're going to have a real talk about George H.W. Bush. You know what? When he died, I was reading, you know, stuff about him and there's this really interesting thing, which is he's so boring. He's (laughs) he was a boring, bad president. He wasn't even that good at ignoring AIDS. Reagan was way better at it. He's um, the Mac Daddy of ignoring AIDS. Uh, Nancy well, Reagan, she's like, I can't talk about AIDS. It doesn't match the China. Let's like literally just jump right into that. Bush was a president notorious for ignoring the AIDS crisis. Literally every AIDS activist group during the time was pissed off at him, had ads like from ACT UP that called him a serial killer for ignoring how many men and women were dying of this disease. And on the heels of the crisis in the 80s, he inherited Reagan's sort of penchant for ignoring everything that happened. And later, he eventually did sort of sign the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Ryan White Care Act, which protected people with HIV from discrimination and funded treatment for people with AIDS. But By that point, it was 10 years into the epidemic. 150,000 cases of people with HIV had been reported in the U.S., and 100,000 people had died. So, Thanks a lot, Thanks. Yeah. Good try. And there's been sort of this thing that happened with Reagan, that happened with McCain, which we talked about on this show, uh, of people sort of mad at you for bringing up any of this at all and just all people are doing i will say is stating what he did they're just saying these are the things that happened while this person was president if they sound bad that is not the fault of the facts that is the fault of the person who did them and the notion that simply saying he ignored the he ignored the aids crisis and hundreds of thousands of people died it just saying that he ramped up this fucking bullshit war on drugs and thousands and thousands of people ended up in prison for no reason because of him that's just saying shit that he did 
if it's bad, it's his fault. It's not my fault. It's not anyone's fault that he did bad things. Also, the reason why we have problems like Trump, you know, the real reason, not, you know, because of the working class and the (laughs) forgotten man, it is because America has this sort of penchant for ignoring history. And I think that is what so much of our art that is about the AIDS epidemic is about. You know, it's about people being reminded of the fact that this even happened. Uh, When I was in London, I saw this new play, um, The Inheritance, which is about um, the AIDS crisis and about how people in Manhattan, um, gays in this age, are learning about it. Uh, And just sort of how if you forget that history, it's going to be gone forever. And so when you have people saying, uh, don't bring this up, it just adds to the fact that we're going to be forgetting about it if we don't bring it up. And by and, the way, we are the ones who have to keep passing it on to each other. It doesn't feel like it's like formally embedded in like, you know, it's academic not in history educa- books. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. They don't they only talk about this shit on the news when someone who ignored it died. Right. So it, what else can we talk about? It's it? also this weird notion that the like the people that and it's frankly usually white people who were like you know, he's dead now. We can admit that he did some bad things, but he also did some good things. Um, no, because I don't know, man. You said like you're you're out here saying we need more prisons. We don't need more prisons. We've never needed more prisons. And so people that were negatively affected by that, the notion that they should just be like, well, you know, he had some good moments. Like it's just to me, it's 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 the it's the privilege of being able to look at a situation that way and see both sides because the other side of it is not actively harming. It's you. because you were not caring for gay men your who died. Your friends were dying of AIDS. Your you relatives weren't getting locked up for tiny, being incarcerated for tiny amounts of crack or whatever bullshit. Like, you were not affected by this. So, yes, I understand how you could look back at this person and be like, well, he wasn't all bad, but, like, you're, if all your friends are dead, then you, you, don't have, you don't have the luxury of being able to look at a situation You like also that. have the fact that he kicked off his presidential campaign in 1988 with that infamous Willie Horton right. ad because he was going against Michael Dukakis. And basically the ad was talking about Horton, who had been in prison serving a life sentence for murder. And on a weekend furlough program, he murdered a man and raped a woman. And the ad was very clear uh, with a mugshot letting you know that Horton was black and his victims were white. Uh, And it was just sort of like, this is Dukakis's fault. Ignoring the fact that the weekend furlough program was created by a Republican. Uh, It was also popular in California under Reagan. Um, This was really just an ad to get white people whipped up about black criminals (laughs) coming to rape and murder them. And he went from that to starting his racist war on drugs where, you know, there was that time where he was in the Oval Office and he held up a crack cocaine bag and was like, they're even selling crack outside the White House. And then it was found out that he scammed that entire thing and they lured a drug dealer to outside the White House so that they could perpetuate that scam if you on can TV. Read, if you can read that Washington Post story, you absolutely should. It was a story in the Washington Post that breaks down the scam, exactly, of, of how they lured a drug dealer, basically, to the White House and to sort of do this whole facade that they're selling crack right outside the White House. Washington Post, speaking of spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, wait, that was the Boston Globe. No, that was, uh, wait, oh, Spotlight. Washington that's Post the was post. the yes. Post. Yes. yes, Meryl Streep caftan. Yes, um, yes, that's a 1989 article by Michael Isakoff. Uh, we'll provide it in the episode link for people to be able to read it. But he was a scammer, <laughs> and he was a racist scammer too. And the only difference is it was you know elegant um, dynasty. Um, scamming <laughs> instead of Trump's um, Roseanne trailer park scam. Right. There was a time when you could be a bad president in a cute folksy way, which was reassuring <laughs> to people at the time. I think the other thing that really bothers me is this idea of, right, like you can't speak ill of the dead, which clearly didn't apply to Michael Brown, didn't apply to Trayvon Martin, certainly doesn't apply all the time. Anytime, you know, a black person is murdered by the cops and they're like, oh, but he smoked weed once. So this bullshit that we can't speak ill of the dead, fuck, go fuck yourself because you speak ill of of people all of the time when they're gone and the notion that someone who was actually harming people 
who was actually making people's lives worse. Now that they're gone, people can't like say what they think of them is ridiculous. And also, I think in, in addition to that, there's a general um, discomfort with just saying about white authority figures, this person mostly fucking sucked and not paying them respect. Like if we don't pay them respect... We are, I don't know, like, uh, uh, it's not civil Or enough. you're not respecting the institution. Yeah, I think that's right. what they think they're doing is like, well, you know, he was a president and I respect the institution of the presidency. And so I have to give him respect. And it's like, no, you don't. Absolutely not. You have someone in power right now who clearly proves that you don't have to do that. And see, there's also a direct line from Bush ignoring the AIDS epidemic and also his racist war on drugs, because now you look in the future, that intersection of him attacking gay people and him attacking black people is like you look at HIV right now and it is still a serious problem. You know, it's like there's a lifetime risk of one in 99 Americans getting it and one in 11 white, gay and bisexual men. But it's like one in two African-American gay and bisexual men will get that in their lifetime. And we don't talk about HIV and AIDS in this country the way that we should, and we don't have the progress that we should because we spent 10 years not doing anything about it while people were dying. And, you know, it's this problem of whitewashing history and it ends up whitewashing AIDS in general because, you know, you end up thinking, oh, this is only a disease that affected white gay men. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like when that first CDC report came out in the 80s, it included five... Um, cases of white gay men who got it and it excluded the two black gay men who'd got it and there was even a report earlier this year i think and like uh oh hiv plus magazine about how like in 1969 the first victim of hiv was actually like a 15 year old black teenager so it's like when we don't discuss these things when we decide that we need to be nice and that we need to you know just like keep the peace that is how people end up dying. And by the way, someone like him, like the kindler, gentler republicanism, they, these people specifically found space and created space for like horrible, insane ideologues. And that's who is our president now? Also, you know, his last tweet was to what's her name? Susan Collins. Is that the one like congratulating her on her vote for Kavanaugh? Like, fuck you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Fuck you. I was about to be like congratulating <laughs> her on confirming a probable rapist to the Supreme Court. That's your last tweet. That is the last thing that you or whoever operates your Twitter feed chose to put up there. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Give me Jeb. a break. Yeah, Jeb. <laughs> That's the only thing he lets Jeb do. He, he sends out the official tweets. <laughs> Jeb's going to fuck up next week and send out a tweet. And they're going to be like, wait a second. Isn't he dead? Right. Jeb is going to just unleash his real feelings about the... <laughs> <laughs> the love he never got. By the way, the you know what I thought feed. was also telling is the minute he died, how quickly Dana Carvey trended because truly the most culturally relevant thing about him was just that impression of him. You know what right. I mean? And well, that also goes to the credence that like so many people who I know were trying to hop on social media and be like, let's not speak ill of the dead. Let's not do this and that. I'm like, bitch, you don't even remember George H.W. Bush being president. Yeah. No, please. I don't. No, he raised more of a stink about broccoli than AIDS. That's all I remember. <laughs> also, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what we're talking about. He doesn't. Right. Um, the only good thing he did was uh, when he uh, was petty and skipped Trump's inauguration. That was good. <laughs> pretending he was too sick to travel. <laughs> and then didn't he go to the Super Bowl? <laughs> I can't think <laughs> Three doors down made it. I can't My believe God. they're letting him go Trump to, to his the funeral. funeral. Letting Trump go to the funeral. I loved I saw a headline that was like, Trump will attend the funeral, but he won't give a eulogy, which no shit. Like, did anyone actually think he was gonna, gonna give write, a write a poem? Right. Yeah. He can barely speak coherently when he asks for his McDonald's order in the morning. <laughs> you think he's gonna sit up there and give a eulogy? <laughs> uh, um I guess basically it's like don't forget the AIDS crisis. Don't forget the racist war on drugs. Uh, and we should be talking about these things more than, you well, know, you just when these people die. Yeah. And also you can use the opportunity of like, this person is gone and these are now the things we're talking about. That's how the news works. Like yeah. it's, I don't know why everyone is surprised every time this happens. Like, why are we talking about these things? Because he's dead and now we're talking about what he did. That's, this is what happens literally every single time. 
Yeah. Um, and speaking as a gay black man, if I can have a Kara moment, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know that we always talk about the normal heart. We always talk about Angels in America, The Baltimore Waltz um, by Paula Vogel, which I love. But, you know, we should do more to read about the AIDS crisis from the people actually majority afflicted by it, which were black people. I think that people should read Not Straight, Not White, Black Gay Men, from the March on Washington to the AIDS Crisis by Kevin Mumford. And um, a friend of mine online, Donna Smith, is an HIV-positive poet who has a lot of poetry um, that I think people should read. And people around the globe. Yeah. It's like it's not just... This fucked up a lot of things for a lot of people, guys. <laughs> yeah. AIDS and HIV is still a very serious issue in the world. Um, and there are more cases every year. Um, and if you're a person who needs health insurance, uh, if you're a person who needs that, so I don't know, that you can get on PrEP or any sort of medication where you can get um, your HIV under control because we're able to do that now. Unfortunately, a lot of people in our country don't have access to affordable health care and don't have access to, you know, the means to visit a doctor all of the time um, the way that we may think it's just so commonplace to do in L.A. or New York or something. Um, until December 15th, you can sign up for health care. Um, Trump ain't telling people about it, but Obamacare, you can sign up for it before the deadline, which is Saturday, December 15th. You can find an affordable plan at healthcare.gov. The website works. Go there. Get yourself a fucking healthcare plan. When we're back, we're going to attempt to recap 15 seasons of Quantico. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Over the weekend, Priyanka Chopra, actress and singer of number one Indian iTunes hit Exotic featuring Pitbull, got married to former Disney star Nick Jonas in a Hindu ceremony at the Umaid Bhawan Palace in India. Shortly after, they had another wedding, a Christian ceremony presided over by Jonas's pastor dad. They had a lot of weddings. They had a lot of weddings. They had a lot of weddings. Uh, to talk about these weddings, we are joined by creator of The Blacklist, Franklin Leonard. And expert in weddings, Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm, the, I'm none of those. Oh, I'm, I am The Blacklist guy, but the rest of the stuff, <laughs> I'm not an expert. Ira, the fact that you called Nick Jonas former Disney star is real rude. <laughs> I, first of all, I am the only one on this panel who has owned 
every Jonas brother you album sure are. was yeah. on every Nick Jonas sure album. Sure you are. Yep. This way, this is a source of credibility. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm happy for you. Okay, they were push, push, pushing me away. Okay. <laughs> I get it. The year 3000? Can I say something about this couple? I think they are the most famous couple. Both of them as famous as you can be while still being a boring couple. I mean, God, if you thought if you thought Joshua Jackson and Diane Kruger were too exciting, I've got a couple for you. They are so famous. Like yeah. they are a they're both huge stars and they got married and it just feels like everyone is confused. Like no one I saw was like mad or anything. Everyone was just like, Oh, they really did that. Those two. They really It's like Ryan really Reynolds and Blake Blake Lively. Like, oh, sure. It's like when I remember that I'm gay when I'm like uh-huh. I don't really care about Priyanka Chopra. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not a woman, so I'm not like, oh, my God, like, here's Priyanka. And I'm not like a straight man who's like, oh, my God, Priyanka. You know, she's. I don't think she's really crossed over into, like, gays adoring her. Like, we weren't watching she, Quantico. Yeah. Well, but she just, just has the entire nation of India that adores yeah. her, though. Yeah, so so I think... And the diaspora on top of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Well, she has that, but... <laughs> Not Iris Phantom. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. She got married to Nick Jonas, and she is now going to be on the cover of Vogue. So she is being positioned, I feel like, very thirstily to make her famous in the U.S. And I don't care. No, it's like She has India, but India doesn't seem to be enough for her. I'm supportive That's of true. this. But, like for, like, for instance, I still don't really know what Quantico was. That feels like a show to me that when it started um, out was like, we're gonna make, we're gonna get all this correct information right about like whatever the FBI. CIA. No, let me tell you about it. And then it turns into like a witch turned over. Quantico, over Quantico. Quantico, the first season of Quantico was actually the first half of the first season was quite strong. The Only problem, the problem, yeah, the yeah, first. Agreed. The problem was the premise of the show became moot at the beginning <laughs> of the second half of the first season, and then the show didn't make sense anymore. I once heard someone describe it as a Shonda Rhimes show that they did not want to pay Shonda Rhimes for, mm. which kind of made a lot of, because it was, it was like yep. hot people. It's true. You know, a, lot of, a lot of sort of emotional drama set against yeah. a backdrop of like professional capability. But it didn't make enough sense. Well, because it was the sexy people trying to stop a terrorist. And it was no. It had already happened. It was two, t- it was two timelines. Yeah. It was like the terrorist attack had happened on New York, and Priyanka was accused of it. And there was also the timeline where they all joined Quantico and were becoming this is FBI agents. Yeah. And then I knew they fucked up with part two of season one because. They didn't catch the terrorists, and like apparently there was a bigger terrorist that they had to find. But then the flashbacks were like their second semester, and they added a bunch of people to the cast who were somehow supposed to have been there in the first oh, half they, of they season just one. Yeah. We just never met them. Oh, like like a uh, Fantasy Island or like Gilligan's yeah. Island you know, didn't show up. I actually got into kind of a Twitter fight with I think the creator, the showrunner of Quantico, because I was watching the show because Josh Safran. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I mean, I like, I think she's stunning. And I was like, you, look, you ha- this is the first time I think an Indian woman starred in a primetime right. show. Yeah. So I was like, cool, I'm going to support this. However, I'm watching the show. And at one point, they, they introduced her mother, who's an Indian woman. And then they introduced her father, who's who was white. white. And I was like, wait a minute. Because in real life, she's not mixed. And so I had tweeted about it. And the creator, whoever, like tweeted back at me. And he got kind of persnickety about it. I'm like, that was such an unnecessary attempt to like whitewash her and the show it had nothing to do with the plot her whole thing was that her dad was also an fbi agent couldn't he have i assume we've had indian fbi agents it didn't make any sense and and that's my quantico memory well this is what happens when you don't pay for shonda rhimes right exactly. i think, I think right. this, let this be a lesson to us all exactly shonda yeah. co well that's sort of my whole thing with priyanka right like she's hugely famous in india um and so over here since quantico it feels like we've had this attempt to make Priyanka sort of happen here, but I don't know if it's working. I mean, she did Baywatch, and she really? was the villain. She was, was the that vi- this year? She, she was villain in Baywatch like a year. year ago. Yeah, it was last uh, year. It was last year. Uh, she was the villain in Baywatch, and now this year, like she's finally on the cover of Vogue. But I'm disappointed that it's not on her own, just sort of like yeah. merits of she should have been on Vogue before because she's. A hugely popular star. 
Uh, and she's very beautiful, and she looks great in dresses Not and couture. You know, and it's like she's on Vogue, and it really seems like Anna Wintour is playing to the tabloid audience that wants the details of Priyanka and Nick's wedding. I, I think it's a little bit too of when Hollywood decides that they want a person to be a thing. And I think they do it a lot more with people of color where they're like, great, now we have our we have our beautiful Indian woman. And they picked one as opposed to I'm sure there are countless actresses who maybe have maybe would be better in certain projects or whatever it is. And but they've decided they've picked the one and are really putting everything behind it. And I as much as you know, like I have nothing I have no ill will towards Priyanka Chopra, but you do sort of wonder who we aren't getting to meet because everyone has decided that this is the one sort of person that we're throwing everything behind. Also, I find it just wild that she's with Nick Jonas. I know. I don't, I don't, the the I don't whole know. relationship still seems weird to me. I mean, in, what, as, in what way? I'm curious. I as mean, a person who grew up like sort of being a fan of Nick Jonas right. and the Jonas Brothers, it's just now weird to see You're saying you would not have this. pegged him with an Indian superstar 10 years old or 10 years his senior. No. And it's, it's, I he did date, wait, he dated Kate Hudson, right? Yeah. So anyway. What? He, he loves older <laughs> women. Yeah, he dated I Kate mean, Hudson. They just don't really... I, you know what? I was just like, I don't know what's happening. I was just like confused. It feels like a simulation. Not that Joe Jonas and um, Sophie Turner seems to make that? much more sense. Who's that? Uh, Sansa. Yeah, Sansa. Uh, from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Oh, guys, I don't want me, oh, me neither, please. All the women have prom hair. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Franklin, let's talk about Circe. Let's talk about, yeah, let's exactly. talk about the gate. I'm, I'm, exci- <laughs> I'm excited for the return. I'm not going to lie. Is it so coming April, back I think soon? It's it is coming back. Yeah. yeah. HBO like did that thing where the final season of the show airs like two, two years. three years <laughs> after the last season, which they started with The Sopranos yeah. just because they can. They can. And I'll be, I'll be there. I'm not, I've been waiting for two years. So. I think they're doing that with Silicon Valley, too. Like, Silicon Valley's coming back. Like, they don't Is that they, true? That, I don't think they've that even started. That feels like a slightly different dynamic. No, no, but they haven't <laughs> even. I love Silicon Valley, but they haven't started. I don't think they've started The Room because the dude, because they're doing Barry instead. It was oh. like the showrunners doing Barry mm. also. So they're like. Well, you know, Game of Thrones is like Silicon Valley with dragons. Hmm. What is, that's me. your elevator pitch? They're all at the K- end Kamal, of the day. Kamal's in Game of Thrones, too. If I sit down and watch this. <laughs> the theme is all lust for power in both, really. <laughs> if I sit down and watch this and there's not a nerd freaking out within the first five minutes on a dragon, I'm going to be very irritated. <laughs> well, you can just go to Twitter afterwards and trust me, there'll be some nerds freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> well, so on this Priyanka tip, yes. um, Franklin, you are the creator of The Blacklist. I am indeed. Which... Tell us about The Blacklist, yeah. what it does, you know, because you talk a lot about diversity in Hollywood, and this is exactly connected with Priyanka and how she's sort of like the only one now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so The Blacklist started almost 15 years ago as just an informal survey of Hollywood's most liked unproduced screenplays. I was trying to find good scripts to read and good writers to work with, and so I surveyed all of my peers and said, send me a list of your 10 favorite scripts that haven't been made yet, and I'll share the entire list. And then very quickly, it became this sort of prognosticator with some success about future success. So the first list, the two of the top three scripts were Lars and the Real Girl and Juno, which went on to be nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Obviously, Juno won. Um, and since then, you know, in the 14 years since, we, we've sort of served early notice about future Best Picture winners, Best Screenplay winners. Um, and then since then, we've become a business that, that you can submit your screenplay to our website and have it evaluated. And if it's good, we tell all the Hollywood, like, hey, you should probably do something with this. And the website, then, yeah. um, do you find that there's more diversity in sort of the blacklist and the scripts that you get submitted than what's being represented in Hollywood? Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I, it's, it's, it's still not what we're being submitted is still not, I think, representative of the country or the world as a whole. Like, it's just one example. You know, it is still roughly 65-35 in terms of men versus women submitting to the website, mm-hmm. which I don't think reflects who's writing screenplays, I think it reflects who has sort of been culturally sort of trained to say, you know, type the end and then be like, where's my million dollars? Mm -hmm. And that's men. Whereas, you know, women will write an excellent screenplay and then be like, you know, I want to work on the second act just a little bit to get it perfect before I share it with anybody. And we even see that reflected in the the sort of performance of the scripts on the site. Men have a pretty perfect bell curve in terms of the scores that they get. And women, the very bottom of that bell curve disappears. Like they're not submitting garbage, whereas (laughs) men will submit garbage and expect that it's going to be their $3 million payday. Yes, they will. 
you basically <laughs> touched on this, but um, it is astonishing how many of these scripts just go on to like win the Oscar. Yeah, I mean, like weird. Manchester by the Sea is on this. Like, yeah. when, you, when you see a script like that, are you immediately like, like when you read scripts, are, can you pick which one's going to go all the way? I, look, I've been doing this for 15 years, and so I, I, I like to think that I have the ability to do that. And, and there's, there are times when I read something, I'm like, this is genius, and if it can just get made, it'll go all the way. I mean, The King's Speech is actually a really exa- good example of that. I had a stutter when I was a kid, so it like touched me. And I remember thinking, like, if they can just make this movie, it has real potential. Um, and then there are other times I read things that I love that can't even get made for whatever reason, and who knows if they will ever get made and go the distance. But no, I mean, the track record is ridiculous. Like, there have been like 1,200 scripts on the list, 400 have gotten produced, they've been nominated for something like 275 Oscars, 50 wins, four of the last 10 best pictures, and 10 of the last 22 screenwriting Oscars. Well, with a success rate like that, yeah. do you do you feel like you've seen sort of the Hollywood traditional kind of um, setup respond to the work that you're doing? Because you would think yeah. they would say, oh, wow, look at all, of, maybe we should look in places we haven't been looking before because it's very successful. Yeah, I, th- I think that is happening. I think that they're, they're, you know, the Blacklist comes out in mid-December every year. I think that, you know, producers, directors, studio executives, actors sort of seek these scripts out and read them. So I don't know if, if the Blacklist itself is getting movies made, and I don't think I'd ever go so far as to say that, but I think it it catalyzes a lot of attention around material that is really emotionally ambitious, and then people get involved who can then get movies made on the strength of their own name, on the strength of their own work, and then they go on to get produced. So I never want to overstate and be like, look, the Blacklist did all this mm-hmm. shit. But at the same time, I think that we we catalyze some reactions that help these things get made. I mean, like Chris Terrio has said that Ben Affleck found out about Argo because of the Blacklist. Mm-hmm. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch said he read the Imitation Game script because it was the number one script on the Blacklist. Did we get it made? No, but we got them to read it. Right. And they got it made. So. Well, so here's my question. What is the sort of percentage of people who end up on the blacklist who are sort of, you know, maybe a fresh voice to Hollywood versus if Diablo Cody's next script were to end up on the blacklist again, it's like, well, someone's going to make that, so. Right. Well, hopefully. I mean, I think the reality is is you never quite know, and depending on what Diablo decides to write next, there may be impediments because of conventional wisdom about what works and what doesn't that prevent it from getting made. I think that, you know, look, every year the list has people that we know, just those of us who follow movies will know already, and then it has a a ton of new names. I think the number one script almost every year is someone that I had never heard of before the list came out, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but, you know, the first list, I think Aaron Sorkin was in the top five. You know, he didn't. Aaron Sorkin submitted to the blacklist? No, not to the website. It was part of the the annual survey, (laughs) part of the annual survey. But, but, you know, was his, was uh, his movie going to get made regardless? Probably. Yeah. But I think that by being on the same list as Aaron Sorkin, if you're a newbie and someone says, look, I love this Aaron Sorkin script, but I love this thing from a nobody more, it validates that new, that nobody in a way that, that being on a list of all nobodies never could. Well, so then the list at the end of the year is people who submit to the website, but oh, also... Let me, let me make that distinction. Okay. Wanna, so the, the end of the year list is just a, an informal survey of all the executives who work as, you might call them gatekeepers in Hollywood. They're mm-hmm. executives that made your film financiers and producers. The website functions as a totally separate entity, though there are writers who have uploaded their script to the site, gotten agents, had their movie produced, and then end up on the annual list because people have read it either through the site or elsewhere, and then they're like, this is one of the best scripts I read this year. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's, it's a funnel to, at the end of the day, just trying to identify great talent wherever it lies, and then helping those people get their work made and have sustainable careers. What are some of these racial breakdowns do you find? Are they different than what we're seeing in what's produced in Hollywood? Yeah, I think that the uh, the submission rate to the website is roughly representative of the U.S. population as a whole. Um, and I think we all know that in Hollywood, it's not representative of the United States as a whole. But well, that's think, not proven. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no numbers behind that. Um, but no, I think what we are seeing is, is more... Uh, more representative voices on that annual survey, which is really exciting. Like, I know this year's uh, annual list, we are seeing a ton more representation uh, of people of color. Last year was, by a significant margin, the most women we'd ever had on the list. Um, and that, that number is sustained this year. We've sort of done the voting and done the counting, but the list hasn't come out yet. But we're seeing more movies about women and more movies written by women and more movies written by people of color and about people of color. So that's really exciting. Can you pick just a single script that was the most exciting for you ever to read in the Blacklist history? Um, the King's Speech was always going to be one for me. That I mean, again, I, I had a stutter as a kid. I read that script. It was written by uh, this guy, David Seidler, who was in his 70s when he written, had written the script. And uh, we didn't even have an agent when I read the script. He had a manager who sent, me, sent it to me. And then to see him go from that to being to winning the Academy Award for, for screenplay that year... Uh, 
was was really touching for me because um, that those kind of stories don't happen. When mm-hmm. does this year's blacklist come out? Uh, December seventeenth. All right. right around wow. the corner. Right yes. around the corner. Well, you got to cop that list. Well, you don't have to pay for it. No, so. It's available on our website <laughs> yeah. on the day. It no, comes but out. discover some new names. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. And, and follow those new names. The one thing that I think is really, that sort of drives me crazy, uh, is that people don't, I think, have the appropriate reverence for the writers of their favorite movies. Woo! Right? Say it. Like, Say that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's fine to love the actors, it's fine to love the directors, but like somewhere at some point, someone sat down and literally dreamed a world into existence. And like, I don't know, since I was a kid, I've always had awe for that. And I don't think we do that enough. So like follow these people on social media, like give them like a personal brand that they can sort of leverage in future making of films. Thank you. Tell that to Hollywood. I hey, remember I'm when tra- they were thinking I'm about trying. the Academy Awards about how to trim it down. Wasn't one of their plans to like yeah. cut the writing, cut, cut cut the writing the category? Yeah. The number of deadline headlines I see where it's like, Star movie director. I'm like, who wrote? Did did they did they write that? Preach. Couldn't agree more. Right. Like, especially a new thing where it's like Tracy Oliver, or like Amy Aniobi wrote this movie. It's always right. like, oh, here's the producer, yeah. and then like you have to open it up and find out. Oh, like the person who wrote Girls Trip wrote this movie. Maybe tell me that in the headline. And by the way, that's what people want to hear. I was gonna say, and it might. It, it's good business right. if I know someone wrote Girls Trip. I might want to check out their next movie. <laughs> Tell yeah. me that information. I think that we underestimate how much the general public cares about, oh, this person wrote this movie. Let me go and see what they also wrote. There's this big Hollywood Reporter um, oral history of Working Girl that just came out, oh, yeah. which is a, a movie I've seen a thousand times. For whatever reason, I myself am a writer. I have never even thought about who wrote the movie. And to think about what inspired is very cool. So I really recommend everybody read it. It plugs you into the blacklist mindset. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Franklin. It was an absolute pleasure. I will see you at Equinox. You will. We always run into each <laughs> <It's> other. <true>. <laughs> <laughs> Usually as I've like, I'm gasping for air and just like, okay, I'm done. I'm not coming back here ever again. So... Yeah, I'm just walking around. On I was going to say, what's, what's Ira doing? <laughs> Ira's putting in work. Ira's, Ira is putting in work. My trainer found out I am back from Europe. Uh, if he follows me on Instagram, and already harassed. You're like me. dodging your trainer. Yes. Yeah, I probably uh, do the same. Anyway, thank you again. No, uh, when me. we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the week. Mm. As always, it's Keep It. Kara, it's been a long time. It has. And you left them without a dope beat to step to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm back now. And I'm coming in hot. (laughs) So I saw an article from GQ this week that... uh, Love Gentlemen's Quarterly. Yes. That wondered or posited that uh, bootcut jeans might be making a comeback for men. And I would like to say, do we not have enough evil in the world? (laughs) Are we not dealing with enough? Are we not fighting what feels like 18 wars on every front? Everything is stressful. We got a lot to worry about. We don't have time to deal with men wearing bootcut jeans again. We don't have the energy. We don't have the resources. I can't put up with that. I have enough that worries me every day when I step out of my house. I can't deal with watching a man walk down the street in bootcut jeans and square-toed dress shoes. I don't have the energy for it. I'm tired. We're not going to do this. You can delay this a few years when shit is a little bit calmer, and then we can address the idea of you all wearing those hideous pants again. In the meantime, leave us alone, keep it, keep on your straight cut denim, and keep it moving. Didn't the photo that accompanied that article too, like the pants didn't look boot cut. They looked They crazy. were bunched up they at the bottom. They were very yeah. Apparently it's like this one designer, and they're like, I don't know if he's trolling us, but I don't feel that we have, we can afford to take this as a joke. You know, we need to take this seriously. When I think of boot cut jeans, I think of, Bobby Ewing in Dallas doing something sexy. I think the last time bootcut jeans were cute, like, you know how, like, Julia Roberts fooled us into believing high-waisted jeans look good on everybody and we were just wrong for four years? Cameron Diaz was the one person that, like, a low-cut, bootcut jean looked amazing on in 2000 and then, unfortunately, it infected us for a decade. I don't know that anyone ever looks good in bootcut jeans, I gotta say. I, I'd, I'd have to revisit. I'm uh-huh. not confident. 
they might. You have Cameron to be Diaz pencil might. thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't we don't need this. We get it, Lewis. You wear bootcut jeans. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. I of course not. I did used to. Yes, in a very serious <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing them now. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> What's your keep it? Um, big fucking keep it to uh, the rap and granny we're all supposed to love, Pope Francis. <laughs> This guy who's been allegedly down with the kids for years, who like, can, you know, is like super cool with his like hacky sacks and his loved his cameo his trapper on keepers. Mouth. Yeah, right. Um, he uh, is worried, quote, about the serious issue of homosexuality in the clergy, according to a book he's written. He said gay people he should not join. That's right. I, can you believe he had time? I'm shocked. Um, <laughs> he said gay people should not join the Catholic clergy, and that homosexuality had quote become fashionable. Um, how much, how many fucking times do you have to be yelled at by gay people before you realize that homosexuality is not like a slap bracelet or like a trend we're trying on, (laughs) that it's actually people with motherfucking lives. Um, this guy goes in our societies, it even seems that homosexuality is fashionable and that that mentality in some way also influences the life in the church. He said, uh, this is something I am concerned about because perhaps at one time it did not receive much attention. And he says that people, uh, joining the church, must be humanly and emotionally mature, which gay people are not. Hey, bitch, is it possible the fucking priesthood is the problem? Is it possible this is not that rat of vocation, that it ruins the lives of the people who join it, that this church is a fucking joke? I'm sorry, you think Jesus gives a shit about this stuff anymore? He, like, cashed out on Catholicism 20 years ago. He sold his shares. He's like, fuck it, I'll do real estate. This shit is over, bitch, and so are you. You know what I first thought when he said he was had a he was worried about homosexuality in the clergy i was like oh good like he was yeah. worried that the clergy or like that they were that they were homophobic yeah right that's how nope. i initially heard that yeah. and then twist it was not what, yeah twist <laughs> it was not, not coming from a that's caring place with human emotions you know what i think we should just uh, fashionable. No, we should just do the young Pope for real. Yeah, we should make um, Jude Law. Jude Law, the Pope, mm. and uh, that's what we're doing now. I would love the Pope to just be walking around with like sexy chest hair, and in those in those all white uh, tracksuits. That's fashionable. I love like, that. <laughs> stop worrying about homosexuality being fashionable, and about how about you update that. Pope mobile right. that you've been driving around chasing the Joker in since 1964. Also, it's see, yeah, if you're concerned about things being fashionable, it's like the one like requirement of this job is that you wear sleek ivory shit and you still can't even do that right. So can we like work on a silhouette? How about that? You should watch everyone should I mean, I loved the young Pope, but uh if you go there's a scene where the Pope is getting dressed for like his big coronation or whatever it is to an LMFAO song. And it is ridiculous and unbelievable and hilarious. And let me tell you, he looked great oh, because yeah. it was uh, it was Jude Law's The Pope. Again, that's the key to all of this is Jude Law needs to be the Pope. You know what doesn't look great? Homophobia. It does not. It makes you age. <laughs> <laughs> Just makes you look gross. <laughs> Thank you for this testimonial from Paris is Burning or whatever this is. <laughs> I don't have to tell the Pope that he's ugly because he, <laughs> he knows he's knows ugly. He's ugly. <laughs> and that shade. <laughs> My keep it is also about uh, a monster who hates gay people. Who? Andre Osiris. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he is said that he would love a sequel to Call Me By Your Name. And in fact, he's writing one. He tweeted that the other day. And you know what the fuck? I don't want it. Well, I don't want it. You should tell him. I don't want it. Well, I mean, by the way, what would a sequel mean? Would it be then they're in their 30s? Because the book actually ends like 10 years after the, you know, the the romance when he's like 17 and he's 24. Well, Lusa Guadagnino talked about how he saw it as, you know, potentially dealing with the AIDS crisis. And I don't want that. Mm, that It was a different story. It was such a lovely story that was sort of before that all happened, and so it it was nice to see you know a gay romance that wasn't that was a period piece that wasn't hinging on the fact that people were dying around them. And right. I just feel like that makes it something else, and it makes it darker. And it's not the story that we wanted from them if that's in the sequel. You know, but the, also, if you do that sequel, you can't ignore it. The larger issue too, issue too is we almost never need an anything to. Yeah, right. Almost never. Almost never. Not unless Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith are involved. You almost never need 
anything to. Also, just three, four, certainly not. Just, we don't, we usually don't need a sequel. Also, is Timothy Chalamet going to do a sequel to Call Me By Your Name? Right. I know Army Hammer will keep doing them until someone pays attention and gives him an award. Right. No, by the way, Andre Asiman, who wrote the original book, straight man. Now, I do not like feeling this scene by someone straight. I'm just saying it has always made me uncomfortable that he got so many specific things right. And I just believe I should talk that out with him because it makes me confused. Well, he read a lot of Craigslist ads. Oh, you think that's what it was? He knows... He knows what happens in our bedrooms. We're all eating peaches. That's right. I'm eating in, a peach in right In misconnections. Yes, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. Saw you eating a peach on the G train. <laughs> <It's me>. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I could cover it. <laughs> Andre Asiman taking notes on that. Ooh. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think we need a sequel to it. No, uh, you absolutely, you don't need a sequel also, to most movies. <laughs> Andre Asiman, like, you have other books? Right. And some of them are queer, too. Just adapt those. How do you feel about the Handmaid's Tale sequel that Margaret Atwood is writing now? No, I don't. I, I almost never want a sequel. The oh. answer, other than, like, I get it with, like, comic book movies because those those stories continue. Yeah, they're sagas. Like, yeah, but um, you almost never need a sequel. There's a Handmaid's Tale 2 book coming out. Is it just a documentary? Is it just <laughs> what's happening now? If that's Handmaid's 2, if it's just clippings from the New York Times from people not letting women do anything with their bodies, then I will accept that as a sequel. It's just Margaret Atwood like, pointing out a window. She's like, here it yes. is. Yeah, exactly. how, old, how old is she? I mean, that book came out, what, 30 years ago? Yeah. So. Does she have better things to do? And sitting down writing Handmaid's Tale too. Uh, Guy Branham, who was on the show once, interviewed her before. She does not like to be an easy interview. It was really good, but she was salting it up. Do was that. She? Do more funny, do more salty interviews yeah. instead of writing anything too. Also, she has other books too. <laughs> that she does. Can Hulu make one of them? I bet they can. I guess she wants to write something. Mm-hmm. Who am I to Selfish. Yeah. Write whatever you want. Right, you're Call Me By Your Name sequel to whatever. That was a reversal. Everybody just do whatever the fuck you want in 2019 because that's what I want to do. I just want to drink kava and be on vacation. Okay. But I have to come back and do this show. You do. Whatever. We'll see you next week. In this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.